This is Box Score, brought to you by Games Radar, and I'm your host, Richard Grisham. While it may not get the hype of some of the other fall sports games, there's no doubt that the NHL series from EA has been consistently excellent for years. After a stellar showing at E3, the excitement for this year's version is palpable. So I sat down with two of the key developers on the game a couple of weeks after E3 to get their perspective on everything about NHL 13, from fan reactions to running their webcasts to the process of choosing what goes into the development cycle for annual sports games, and a whole lot more, too. So join me and two producers from NHL 13, Sean Ranjitsing, a.k.a. Rammer, and Andy Agostini, as we talk all about the game of NHL 13. All right, we are here with Sean Ramjack Singh and Andy Agostini, two producers for NHL 13. Uh, Sean, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Um, so we're here. Uh, it's you know no time like uh, the middle of summer to talk about ice hockey, uh, in particular the NHL. Um, in fact, we just wrapped the Stanley Cup Finals last week, and my beloved New Jersey Devils just fell a little bit short to the LA Kings. Um, Four games to two, so I'm, I'm still kind of feeling a little down about that. But no better way to sort of get over that than to look a little bit towards the future. Um, but before we get into talking a lot about NHL 13, which uh, releases on September 11th of this uh, this year, um, I wanted to talk with Sean and Andy a little bit about themselves first. Um, so, Sean, I'll start with you. You are a producer on NHL 13. How did you come to get this role on this game, NHL. How'd you get to EA? What's your background? Um, how'd you get where you are right now? You know what? I got here by being a diehard sports fan is kind of the, the, the easiest way to sum it up. You know, I grew up playing basketball and hockey religiously. Um, you know, when I was about 15, 16, um, I had to make a choice between the two and figure out which I thought I could make, you know, get a little further in and pursue a career. And uh, so I started playing a little of uh, university basketball, pro basketball. I came back from playing um, basketball overseas, kind of sitting around waiting for my next contract to come up and, you know, played a lot of games, a lot of sports games. And uh, I had a couple of buddies that I had gone to university with and uh, I played some basketball with that were working as one of the smaller uh, video game developers um, in the Vancouver area working on um, their basketball and hockey games. Kind of just so happened that uh, those guys had moved on to EA to uh, work on the sports games here, and there were some openings. I had been in there before, and uh, the environment was incredible. You know, they, was, they had no set time to get in, they, no real dress code, uh, just a real collaborative team environment. Um, so I kind of threw my resume in there, and just so happened that, uh, you know, one of the guys from university that um, – played on one of the other sports teams was actually also there working as a producer and needed somebody to help with those sports games there, and that's kind of how I got into it. Um, you know, first opportunity I had to come over to EA and work on uh, the sports games here. I jumped on it. I started working on NCAA basketball, then a little bit NBA, and, um, you know, I guess five years ago before uh, the development of NHL 09, Dean Richards and David Litton came up to me at a hockey game and asked me if I wanted to be part of the NHL team. They knew I was a diehard hockey fan, how much I loved the sport and love games, and uh, it was an instant yes, and I guess, you know, the rest is kind of history. I've been working on the franchise since NHL 09 and uh, loving every second of it. So what's your what's your team? <laughs> My team, uh, born and raised in Vancouver. I'm a uh, diehard Canucks fan, 
That said, uh, I have a new love for uh, the Philadelphia Flyers as well. They're kind of my team in the East right now. Oh, really? Huh. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so Andy, I guess uh, same question to you. How'd you uh, how'd you make it to your role? Uh, what's your background and and uh, and so on? Uh, I came around in a different kind of way. Um, I'm a sports fan. Uh, unfortunately, my body and my sports IQ don't match, so I wasn't really into sports in the sense of, of playing sports at a college level. But I got in uh, through um, an accounting background into EA. And I, uh, from accounting, went to start working, uh, tried to put my name in the hat for a production job on our old WCW um, franchise, and I got the job. And from there, um, I went and worked on NBA and, uh, for about four or five years, and then I've been on NHL since 07, uh, NHL 07, when we went and made our first next-gen version. Uh, so I've been on the title for about six years. Uh, Big, big hockey fan. Um, you know, I'm first-generation Canadian, uh, so it was a very um, a good fit as a, that was the sport I grew up with. So are you a Canucks fan as well, hailing as you do from the uh, Vancouver area? Uh, yeah, uh, born and raised in Vancouver. First thing I saw when I was, like, three years old, my parents didn't even know what hockey was as they come from Italy, so it was, uh, it was something that I picked up on my own. Uh, and uh, definitely a big fan of the Vancouver Canucks since the uh, the very bad days through the 70s to through, through their little heydays that they've had in, in the last uh, couple decades. So one of the questions that I, that I love to ask folks like yourselves, producers, I don't think a whole lot of people could truly define what a producer of a big-time AAA sports video game is. Now, you're both listed as producers. Do you both do the same things, or, or are your roles... Even though your titles may be similar, are your roles very similar or are your roles very different based upon your particular skill sets and what you're responsible for? Um, so each person has a, a little bit of a different skill set. Um, my my main role here is I work on some of the big uh, features such as uh, I've done things like the A Sports Hockey League, uh, uh, Be a Pro in the past. Uh, my accounting background has sort of lended me to do things like with our database, working with licensing for different leagues. So my role is, uh, I wouldn't say non-creative, it's more business side with the creative being mixed in. Um, and, and, you know, Sean's role is slightly different, but everyone has a different uh, role, and we, we try to work to each person's strengths as that makes the game a little easier to work with. You don't want to put, it's just like a real sports team, you don't want to put a person that isn't capable of doing something to fail. So we all kind of have our own little... Uh, specialties and we use them to our advantage of course we teach each other that what we know so that uh, other people can help and it's it's always a collaborative effort between the team uh and sean has a different role on the team so yeah my role and my role is a, a little more a little higher level um ultimately owning the vision for the game year in year out um owning the vision for the franchise moving forward the multi-year vision um understanding how the world around us is changing how sports games are changing how the industry is changing and making sure our vision adapts suitably. And also just, you know, it is a business as well, so uh, owning the, the business is uh, part of my responsibilities too. And, you know, more than anything, the, the, the greatest thing for me about game development that I did know that I would, I would get outside of playing sports is the, the team atmosphere. It's, we, you know, we run our NHL team just like, uh, you know, like any sports team out there or men's league team. Um, it's really about everyone pulling their weight for a common good. So that's kind of, kind of been the, uh, 
the, the most exciting part of the whole job is just getting to work with great people day in and day out with a common goal being hockey and video games. So um, that's my role in a nutshell. That's quite a lot of responsibility, the vision of the game, especially these days as we're heading towards a uh, potentially new generation as well as new uh, hardware already in our hands for, you know, the, the, from the Vita to the Wii U coming down the pike. I, I got to imagine you might have, if not some sleepless nights, I'm sure you're your brain is kind of running pretty much close to 24-7 because the, the video game world is, is an ever-shifting place, especially these days. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You, you nailed it. But, uh, you know, the great, the great thing is uh, we try to have a culture on this team where we know that the producers don't have, producers don't have a monopoly on all the great ideas out there uh, because everyone on this team has played hockey. 90% of the people have played hockey. Um, they live and breathe hockey. They watch hockey. They see what they're seeing on TV. That's not in our game. Uh, you know, anywhere, anyone from our QA to our SEs to our artists, they're all empowered to bring uh, their ideas forward. So it's, it really is a collaborative effort. Um, I'm just the one that uh, ultimately ends up being responsible for what we put in the box. So uh, the collaboration and, uh, you know, I just like to get feedback. I like to get feedback from everybody, whether it's our development team, whether it's our, um, our fans out there, um, anybody on the street. I take feedback from everybody because if someone's thinking it, um, someone else out there is thinking as well. So we're uh, a little bit removed from E3. When this airs, it'll be probably about three, four weeks after the end of E3. Now, um, uh, Sean, I know you were at E3. Andy, were you there as well? I was there. Okay. So I doubt it, considering how long you guys have been with the uh, with the franchise. It wasn't either of your first E3, or or was it? Uh, it was the first one in 10 years for me. So okay. it was... Uh, it was a, a refresher course of of the event. Yes, it was a, definitely a, a big event, and, and I'm, I hadn't been to one in so long that I'd forgotten what what it was like. So it was a it, it gave a new uh, sense of what E3 is to our industry and uh, what people are doing in the industry. So it was it was a kind of a cool experience, as well as meeting all the fans and, and a lot of our a lot of the media that have followed us over the years. Yeah, for me it was. Uh, I guess I've been going for probably five six years now in a row. E3. Uh, a little bit unique this year in that this is the first year that uh, we've ever had a game that I've been working on on the floor, uh, which is really good. We got to interact with a lot of fans um, of our game, again, get feedback from them on how the game has come together, and you know take that feedback and make some adjustments here down the final stretch. So that part was really good. So you are able to do that um, because you are, I would imagine, you are in the home stretch, right? The game releases in September. It's now, as we're recording, the middle of June. So um, you're able to, you got some good feedback. I, I You had mentioned that to me earlier. And you actually are able to make a few adjustments based on some of that. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. We have about, uh, you know, three and a half weeks, four weeks left to do stuff. Obviously, the closer you get to the end, the less big changes you want to make. Sure. So, you know, we try and, we try and start moving away from code changes and move more towards just kind of tunable things, tunable numbers, the tool, using tools that our SEs have enabled us to tune the game with. Now, I would imagine both of you, especially because you had NHL 13 on the floor, as you mentioned, you, you spend a, an, an incredible amount of time before you get to the show getting everything ready. And then during the show, you're pretty much by your game doing demos both on the floor and I would imagine closed door. Do you, either you get a chance to walk the show floor at all, and, and did you get to, a chance to check out some some something other than just what was right around you? Uh, we try and we try and take a five ten minute break as much as we can, kind of spread the work around just to see what else is out there. But 
to be honest, it's a little bit difficult to actually, you know, dig into dig into any games and really see what they're doing in the uh, in the in the breaks that we have. So E3 for us is more of a uh, more of a show up our game as opposed to see what others are doing. Oh yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, okay, so something I found really interesting uh, for NHL 13, you guys recently did a a seriously in-depth webcast about some of the initial updates and modifications to NHL 13. We can't talk about all of them today because we're still a couple of months away from some of the features being made public. Uh, this webcast, I would call that a lot more than a sales pitch. It, it actually kind of felt to me more like almost like a college course. And I mean that in a good way. You know, it was a very in-depth, very structured presentation. Um, it seems like, especially with EA Sports, it's the, 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 the webcasts are becoming more and more prevalent. And it almost, in a way, is replacing the traditional preview in the games press. And, and to me, it makes sense because you can message your audience directly the way that you want to with the amount of information and volume of that information you want to. So do you see this kind of becoming the norm moving forward for, uh, for your games and perhaps even just kind of in a broader industry standard? I definitely think so. You know, it's doing those those presentations really allow us to speak directly to our fans, um, give them the details. You know, we, we we get the feedback from the fans all year round, and what we're doing year in year out uh, addresses a lot of that feedback. So for us to take the time and go through the details of why we did things, why it's important to the game, um, I think it just gives them another level of depth as opposed to just kind of high level service messaging. Um, it just gives them. It gives them more insight into the decisions that we had to make and why we made some of those decisions and why it's important for the product moving forward and why, uh, where the opportunities were in the previous game. Um, you know, we referenced a lot of NHL 12, which uh, was a great game. Um, but, you know, as our fans have pointed out, there's some opportunities with it, and, and that's what we've done with NHL 13 is, you know, leverage the opportunities that were left on the table for 12 to really take 13 to a whole other level and just fundamentally change the game. Now, I'm... I could be wrong, but I believe this is the first year that you've been doing these webcasts. Uh, when did you decide to get in front of your audience this way? Uh, I believe this is the first year we talked about You know, for us, though, we've been talking about just different ways to better communicate, have two-way communication uh, with our fans. Uh, so, you know, leading up, to, leading up to that presentation that you saw, uh, we got back on the forums and just started really opening up that line of communication taking questions on a weekly cadence, answering the questions. And it's just an opportunity for us, again, to, um, to educate our consumers about some of the decisions, decisions we have to make. Um, you know, we'd love to do everything. It's just not a reality that we can do that. So for us, we need to make decisions on what we think is most important um, to the overall quality of the game and will impact the most amount of people uh, in the right ways. And so, you know, when we talk about the decision process with our fans, then they can start to, you know, to understand why we made some of those decisions and at the end of the day someone has to make the final call which you know is on us to do but at least we can explain the why we made those decisions and people can understand it so i do a lot of these kind of software presentations and it takes a lot i mean not for video games but still in software and it takes a lot of practice to get the transitions right you know you're you had several people speaking you had uh, i believe the executive producer of the game sort of at the podium talking then he'd hand it over to you and then you'd have to like jump in and demonstrate live software. I mean, that, how much preparation goes into putting all this together? And and especially Sean, for you, who's who's there with the controller in hand doing this live stuff, is that like nerve wracking? Uh, it can it, it can be nerve wracking, but you know, um, 
games as a whole on this generation console, um, you know, have, have this connotation of being tough to get into. So when we were demoing that stuff in the presentation, and we started talking about the new stuff they want to do with skating and with their gameplay this year, um, accessibility was a huge, huge factor for us. So um, everything that I demoed there and that we were demoing at E3, uh, there was a huge emphasis on the accessibility part. So, you know, most of what I demoed in that presentation was just all using the left stick, and for the creativity part of our skating, it was literally the left stick and the left trigger. So um, part of the feedback we got out of E3 was just feedback on how accessible all the new features that we put into our gameplay was which is great to hear that given that the accessibility was such a focus early on, just making sure that whether you're an experienced vet of our franchise or new to it, you can pick it up and have success right away. So with the focus on accessibility for the fans, it actually makes our demos easier as well. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been doing a demo and uh, all the stuff I do is on the Internet and just my wireless card goes out or the Internet just quits on me. I mean, <laughs> I imagine you probably got two or three backup Xboxes or something just ready in, in case something goes kaput on you. Yeah, we had uh, we had um, some VIPs coming around at E3, and I'll probably let Andy speak to some of his uh, experiences around doing a live demo with some high-profile people coming by. Yeah, when, when you're sitting there uh, with, the, with the machines, our game is uh, so it, it's it's getting to an authenticity point where you're playing the game and sometimes it does change what you're doing, uh, where you're going uh, with it. So you know something like what we did this year with with our uh, GM Connected uh, and we have a, a mobile app with it. Having a connection at E3 was very difficult. It seemed to be bouncing in and out a lot. Yes. So it was one of those things that you're sitting there going, okay, it's working, and then five minutes later, <laughs> it's not working. So, And you only have one mobile app because, you know, you don't want to bring five or six iPod touches along with it. So it was that kind of thing where, yeah, you'll have difficulties, but, I mean, we're all in the industry of its technology, and, and there's some limitations, and there's yeah. some things that we have to go through. So. No, nothing like nothing like live demonstrations, man. Anything and anything can happen. Do you get a feel for how many people tune in to these webcasts? Um, that's a good question. I actually didn't see the final numbers. But you, you do have you do have an idea how many people are tuning in, though. Like you have some. some yeah, I think we're in the. Uh, I think we're around what a hundred thousand people or something wow. in that neighborhood. Um, so it's a you know we did a lot. To promote that, make sure people understood that we're going to get into the details and drive people to watch that. Um, so, you know, to get that many people watching was uh, was great. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's quite a reach. That's amazing. I mean, you know, it's one of the things I noticed, too. And, again, I, this was a great webcast. I recommend anybody who's even remotely interested in the game to go check it out because it's, it's available still on your website. Um, there was a lot of comparing and contrasting in HL 12 to 13. Do you worry that you may be, even if you're not disparaging it, you may be perceived as, as disparaging the game that lots of people like myself are still playing while you're promoting what's coming down the pike in a few months? i got to imagine it's, you know, it might be a little tough to get the message right without seeming like you're almost bashing your, your product that's on the shelves right now. Yeah, no, it's a really a tough balance between the two. But, you know, if you're still playing NHL 12, uh, a lot of the things that we talked about, um, when we reference NHL 12, you would have experienced or are still experiencing, um, and it uh, will resonate with you when we talk about 13. And then for those who maybe have not played 12, <clears throat> we wanted to show why the leap from 12 to 13 was um, so big so they can really experience all the new features. 
but you know we're proud of we're proud of you know the game we put out every single year. We we pour our heart and soul into it. Um, but you know there's with every game that's put out there, there hasn't been a perfect game yet, and there's opportunities. And for us, it's really showcasing the opportunities and showing what we're doing uh, to improve on those. Uh, speaking of NHL 12, I mean it is a massive game. I mean you've got franchise mode, you got legends, you got be a pro, you got the EA Sports Hockey League, you've got you know as Andy you mentioned all sorts of teams from dozens of leagues and countries. So with all of that as a backup, how do you go about figuring out and prioritizing what you want to do from NHL 12 to NHL 13? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Um you know, putting a game out year after year is an aggressive cycle for us, and there's a million things that we want to do. So where we start is we start with the stuff that we had cut the previous year. We just couldn't get in because of time. Um, so we look at that, and before just moving forward with it, what we need to do is look at that feature and, and understand whether or not the feature is still relevant, how much has have sports games changed, have other sports games raised the bar with that feature that we wanted to do, as the you know games outside of sports, uh, what are they doing? Have they raised the bar a different way? Does the feature is the feature still authentic to the sport and the way the sports change? So we start there, and then as the game is released, um, you know, really important is we take the feedback from the fans on what they what they like and where the opportunities are with the features that we put out. Um, take that and start to build our feature set from there. And that's really the, the core of it. And then for us as well as producers, it's our job to really. Um, look at different ways to innovate. And by innovate, I mean, you know, raise the bar, come up with that game-changing feature that we come out with first that other sports games and ideally other games in the industry want to follow because we, we've just changed the way you do something in a game. So those are kind of the three things that we do. Start with the feedback, uh, have the feedback from the previous year, um, look at the stuff that kind of hit the cutting room floor, um, and then just really looking to innovate year on year. So because there is so much going on, do you ever get worried or maybe worry is not the right term, maybe concerned that it just may be too much, just so much stuff, it could almost be too much happening in the game or trying to get into the next game? No, I'm not worried about too much. Part of the, you know, part of the pre-production process for us is to um, try and get as much stuff as we can into a schedule that makes sense. So. Um, you know, for producers, we, we work very closely with our development directors or project managers to ensure that uh, what we commit to doing, we can actually get into a box and deliver on. So it's a, it's a partnership uh, between the producers, the development directors, and the SDs and artists just to make sure that uh, what we talk about early on, we can deliver on at the end when we need to shut it down. And so how many people make pitches for ideas uh, for each game prior to them sort of getting put on the board and then selected? Uh, we'll have we'll have individuals come to us. Um, like I said earlier, like uh, we open up to anybody, anybody in our studio, anybody on the development team. If someone has a great idea, uh, we give people time to prototype stuff during pre-production. If you have an idea um, that you want to spend a couple of weeks on and just see uh, if we can prove it out, um, we'll let people do that as well. But we really allow everybody to collaborate on the design process. Then we'll break into sub teams, our game mode teams, and have them talk about how they want to raise the bar with their features. But it's really uh, everybody contributing and um, not just producers driving it. Okay, so NHL 13, as I mentioned, releases September 11, 2012. And you said there's about three and a half weeks left. So, again, we're recording this in mid-June for publication early July. So how long before that ship date, that September 2012 ship date, does the game have to be absolutely complete from your perspective? 
the game, like, like Grammar said, is about three and a half weeks out. Uh, so we have a final date that we have set that will allow us to be going into uh, our regular testing uh, protocol before we go into first party. So it's about three months uh, between the date that we um, uh, will be actually two months. We will be done somewhere in the second week of July. Okay. And then we'll, we will go through first party to get all the approvals that we need, and then we obviously will need time to put them all into the packaging and get them all out to the stores. Thus, we're done about two months before the actual ship date. So I would imagine and, that. Uh, oh, go ahead. And that, and that's the usual routine that we've had for the last, you know, six, seven years that I've been on the project. And it's usually about a two-month period between final and the actual product being on the store shelves. So I would imagine that you began work on 13 before 12 even shipped. And I'm sure there's like a blur between when 12 finishes and 13 starts. So, I mean, I, I, what's a fair general assessment of when work really began for NHL 13? And maybe even for that matter, NHL 14. Are you already already got some ideas kicking around for that and maybe some pre-production sorts of things happening? Honestly, I think what, what happens is during the, the whole production year, there are things that will pop up in our heads while we're developing whatever's in the schedule. And from there, there's a, you know some discussions whether it's something that, hey, we might have time to put this in this year or let's put that at, on the list for 13. Uh, and if it is something of like a, an Uber-level um, idea that would, would be a more a long-term idea, then yes, that gets put up on a, on a in a document saying, hey, that might be a 14 idea. So our staff are always coming up with ideas. I mean, honestly, I would say some of the things that you'll see in NHL um, 13 will definitely be um, what someone in the staff came up with and uh, managed to discuss with the with a producer and go, you know, if I did this, this would take a week, I can do it, and we discuss it through and get it approved and put into the game. So like Grammar was saying, uh, as a production team, we're not the only ones coming up with the ideas. I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on four guys when you have a team of, you know, 40 guys working on it, and they're all big hockey fans. They all live in Canada, and they're really into it. So, yeah, definitely um, the future is what we're we're always looking at, but, you know, the main goal is to finish this, and then right away, as, as we start going through first party, then the discussions go, okay, let's have meetings to discuss some of the, the future, what we want to do. So it is, it is a blur. Uh, the summer seems to be like the old days was you'd finish the game and you'd be like, yeah, we finished the game. And now it's just a blur going from the next to the next title <laughs> as well as support for the title you have. Well, yeah, you mentioned, you mentioned that. I mean, these days, when a game ships, it's not done. You're doing roster updates. You're doing patches. You're doing all those other things too. So... I would imagine the the blur is even blurrier, if that even makes sense. Yes, very much so. <laughs> um, you know, a few seasons back, your competitor, uh, NHL 2K, disappeared and is not coming back, or if it is, not anytime soon. Um, and really, the NHL series had, in my opinion anyway, during like the PS2 Xbox series, had sort of was the number two game, and then it overtook 2K. In a similar way, I think, to the way that FIFA, for example, took over, you know, uh, Pro Evolution, winning 11, leapfrog it from the number two to the number one spot. Now, some people think, you know, with NHL 2K in particular disappearing, some people think that this lack of direct competition allows the NHL team to coast or rest on their their laurels. Now, I personally, I know this is a fallacy. I mean, just by talking with you guys, I I realize that. But 
I would love to hear your take on that. I, I would imagine you hear that out there and, and you know, just when you hear that, what's, what's your gut reaction or, you know, what do you say when, when you hear those kinds of comments? Yeah, no, for us, it's, you know, for us, and we've been saying this for years now, it's, it doesn't matter if there's one competitor or there's no competitors or there's 10 competitors. For us, it's about competing to be the best sports game in the world. So we compete with the Maddens of the world, the FIFAs of the world, the shows of the world. We want to be the best sports game, period. And that's, uh, that's our challenge every single year. And that's what our focus is. You know, this year, we're really excited about the feature set. And we feel like we uh, are going to be back in those sports game of the year conversations, which is where we want to be. And that's what really drives us. There's great internal competition here. You know, FIFA is uh, just across the way in the same building. And, you know, we always joke that uh, we want our Metacritic to be plus one on FIFA. And they said the same thing. So if we're both trying to outdo each other, I think we're going to be in a good spot. You know, you do mention something that's a good point a lot of people don't consider is that even though NHL might not have a NHL 2K competitor, you're releasing in within the same six to eight weeks as Madden, FIFA, and NBA, right? That is a lot of sports games being available, new sports games in a, in a very small window, and at 60 bucks a pop, um, you know, obviously your hardcore fans, you know, guys like me who pretty much buy every major sports game day and day, and I'll go out and get it. But yeah, there is a lot of competition amongst not only the sports games, but also the, the AAA games. Cause you know, the, the September, October timeframe is the busiest time of time of the year for the release schedule. Um, uh, so let's talk about NHL 13 now, um, <laughs> half an hour into the call. One big update to the game this year is the new skating mechanics called True Performance Skating. Now, you're probably sick and tired of talking about this stuff between uh, you know the, the webcast and E3, but I am going to put you on the spot a little bit. You know, it, what is True Performance Skating really in a nutshell? Yeah, you know, for us, True Performance Skating is all about capturing the flow of today's NHL. You know, as you saw on the webcast, there was no sense of, you know, speed or player differentiation in HL12. So it's about, for us, capturing the, the explosiveness, meaning how fast the player can get to top speed, the top end speed, so the fast guys feel really fast, and then also the momentum part, which is really key, because the true performance skating uh, is driven by real-time physics. So if I told you to run as fast as you can and then turn on a dime, it's going to be tough for you to do. Or, you know, drive 100 miles per hour in your car and then try and take a sharp corner. Uh, it's tough to do that because you're working against the laws of physics, working against your momentum. So that's the key here is make sure that the, the players that are explosive and get the top end speed fast can do that. Their top end speed feel, the fast guys feel fast, and then that there's a sense of weight and momentum to the whole skating system because it's driven by physics. In a nutshell, that's, that's the, you know, the, the speed part of true performance skating. And the other part is the creativity. So there's over a thousand new animations in true performance skating. And what this has done is opened up a whole new level of creativity. Basically, in 07, we talked about, uh, you know, taking the shackles off your hand with the skill stick. For us this year, you know, we've pushed that system as far as we could with our deking and, and the level of creativity. Right. For us, take another, the next big jump in terms of giving the user the tools to create the moves that you see in the real NHL, we have to basically take the shackles off their feet. Uh, and give them full control of their lower body as well. So when you combine the lower body creativity with the upper body creativity, uh, you know, the, the amount of combinations is limitless. So that's what we wanted to do. And then for us, it was really important, you know, with over a thousand new animations, we could easily get into crazy button combinations to make all this stuff happen. So we really, really wanted to focus on the accessibility of it. So you can 
um, have full control of your character and all the new animations by literally using the left stick and just the left trigger. So how long has this been in the works? Because I would imagine this is something that you have, have been thinking about for a while. Uh, this, so we started working on the, uh, the skating system for uh, just NHL 13, but something we've talked about for years now as we kind of really maxed out the old skating system. And again, you know, our best skater, our best real-life ice skater on the team is the engineer actually working on our skating feature. Uh, and he's literally taken upon himself some support from others to set up all the architecture and then bring this thing to life. So he's done an amazing job um, basically single-handedly owning the skating system for us. You know, while I like to think of myself as a as a uh, serious NHL uh, series fan, and I am, I play it on a regular basis. Um, when I read the forums and the comments that people have, it makes me realize that I I am not. <laughs> so I'm really, I mean, to 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 somebody who doesn't really play games, I'm, I appear hardcore. But truly, if I compare myself to the to the to the really deep level fans i'm i'm much more on the casual side so how will this impact a so-called casual player the the true performance skating uh again this comes back to the accessibility part and everyone understands you know speed the fast guy is feeling fast if you're a casual fan you know who the fastest players on your team are um and then with the physics you'll understand that if you're going fast you can't turn on a dot so the accessibility part is the most important part of this literally just on the left stick you have access to um, the explosiveness, the top end speed, and the feeling of momentum. And then, again, with adding the left trigger in there, you now have a backscape button that opens up the whole world of creativity. So it's, you know, like I mentioned before, it's all about, for us, um, giving a whole new level of depth with our skating system, um, really capturing some of the player differenti differentiation in the NHL and with all the players in our league and keeping it really accessible for anybody to pick up and play and have um, success immediately. And I would imagine someone who has played the series for a long time is going to have to sort of teach themselves a bit of a new way to play the game, right? They're not going to be able to make those same defensive plays or, or you know, they're just because of the literally the new way that the players are interacting with the ice, they're going to have to learn some new, some new skills. Yeah. And the great thing about um, the skating and especially if we talk about the backskate button specifically is now we can be more authentic to real life. And you have a guy, you know, a left-handed skater breaking down the right wing on his backhand He's not really much of a scoring threat. You know, I'll take my chances on a 30-foot backhand or a 30-foot cross-ice pass. Sure. Um, so now you can play different. You can play uh, more conservatively defensively and read um, the options or the strengths and weaknesses that the offensive player has. And then vice versa, the offensive player, because you can now get the puck to your forehand, uh, I see you get the puck to your forehand, now I know you're more of a threat to score or make a, uh, make a great pass. So, again, everything that we've added, uh, really accessible, but also authentic to the sport and what would happen and you would see in real life hockey. Oh, and it does look great. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you only, it sounds silly, but, but you only notice it when you really see it. Like I would have never really kind of thought to myself that it would be that big of a deal until you do see it. And then even more so when you, like you did in your webcast, you compare the two games. It, it really is, or significant difference. Something else too that seems pretty big this year is the goaltenders are getting a lot of focus. Uh, in particular, I, I believe if I'm if I'm getting this right, which I may or may not be, but like their upper limbs, you know, their arms and things like that. So, you know, what are the updates you have cooking for goaltenders this year? Yeah, so we've overhauled all of our AI with our EA Sports Hockey IQ, and goaltenders are a big part of that. Um, in past versions of the game, 
the goaltenders and players for that matter too. We're only aware of the puck carrier um, and the puck. So if you picture a two-on-one coming down, the goalie did not was not aware of the threat um, on the weak side, so he would just play the puck carrier. So this year now he's aware of the the non-puck carrier in the two-on-one situation. So occasionally see him cheat over. The great thing and the innovative part about their goalies this year is he can now move each limb individual individually. So when he dove across last year in NHL 12, his arms couldn't adjust to the puck. So if the puck went between his arms, he would score every single time. This year, if he dives across, because he has that mobility with each of his arms and the stick and his legs, um, he can now adjust on the fly and take away everything. So even if you catch the goalie leaning a little bit, anticipating a little bit, um, he can still make that save because of the, uh, the individual limb control. And that's been a game changer for us because essentially what that's done is it's created you know an infinite amount of animations because the goalie uh, can adjust his limbs on every single plane. So it's going to be harder for me if I'm skating down the left wing to toss the puck across the crease and have my right winger tap it in. It sounds like at least for the better goaltenders than it might have been in years past. That's right. The goalies will be better able to read that situation, um, anticipate that situation. Um, if you make a slower pass across, get across uh, by sliding across, you make a nice, fast, crisp pass for a tap-in, you'll still have the ability to dive across and adjust according to where the puck is. So, uh, yeah, we want, you know, our goal every year is to make people um, play authentic hockey in our game and score by playing authentic hockey and not just going to one move uh, like a cross-crease pass or something like that. And that's, you know, that's one of the things for us to make sure the goalie can make those saves on a consistent basis so that people are forced to try and score in more uh, in other ways. Now, you mentioned the EA Sports Hockey IQ. This is another big feature that we've been hearing about. So, I mean, same sort of question from the prospect of as a, as a casual fan, how am I going to notice or how will, what will the impact be of uh, you know, better awareness of the different players around me uh, with this uh, hockey IQ? Yeah, AI is an interesting one because, uh, you know, people typically, casual fans typically only notice bad AI when the player is not in the right spot where they expect them to be. <laughs> I think as a as a casual fan, uh, when you're playing our game, people the players are going to be where you expect them to be more often. And I think in a nutshell, that's probably the most casual way to explain how they, why the AI is going to be better and make a difference. Is your players will be where you want them to be, want them to be, both offensively and defensively, in every situation. So from a hardcore perspective, and again, this is where when I read the forums, I realize how much more of these people know about this game than I do. You have like an example or two where the the hockey IQ. This year, somebody who's a super, super deep, deeply aware of the game is going to notice something and be like, whoa, that's awesome. Absolutely. Starting, well, the first thing I'll talk about is uh, we've overhauled all of our strategies in the game, all of our offensive, defensive strategies, and our four-check strategies. So, you know, as a hardcore fan, if you remember the game from Tampa Bay and Philly yes. uh, this season, where there was basically a standoff while one team was in a 1-3-1. Yeah. So we have strategies in the game. Lots of teams are playing a 1-3-1. We've redone all of our strategies, and one of the strategies is the 1-3-1. So you'll notice that right away in the way that teams um, forecheck against you using uh, the different strategies that we put in there. Um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing you'll notice is, like I mentioned with the goalies, goalies weren't aware of, uh, or the players aren't aware of the non-puck carriers, the other scoring threats, uh, the guys who are relevant to the play as it comes up ice. So now you'll see guys on the weak side. Be aware of the guy on the weak side and stay with the man they're responsible for as opposed to always gravitating towards the puck and the, the most immediate threat being the puck carrier. So they'll maintain better spacing and better awareness of threats um, uh, 
the offside, basically. And that's sort of the big that's sort of the big thing with the esports offside, giving the player awareness part of it. Now I've got a theory about this, um, and I actually wrote about it in today's box score, in, in which Sean was good enough to 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 provide a quote for me, but. It seems to me, because we've had such a long console cycle this generation with the 360 and the PS3, that you guys in your games are able to make some pretty monumental additions that you have never had sort of the the, the luxury of doing in years past. You know, Madden with the, uh, the Infinity Engine, FIFA with the uh, Impact Engine last year, you guys with the True Performance Skating and the Hockey IQ this year. Is my theory completely... Whacked, or I mean, am I onto something in that since you've got such familiarity for so many more years than normal with these console infrastructures, you're able to do some of these things? I think you're on the right track there. I think with us moving to another machine or another, you know, the next generation, you're sitting there going, Oh, look at all this power. If it switches too quickly, we never really fully get the ability to use all of that uh, memory and all the, all the, all the things that you know, these consoles have given us in terms of processors. So now our, our teams are looking at it as if I'm going to rebuild something for whatever feature, um, you know, what, what are the ways I can use the machine to the fullest extent? And I think that's where you're getting now where, you know, our cells with the, with the uh, real-time physics that we've had for the last two or three years, and we keep, you know, iterating and making it better, and now it's part of the, the skating in uh, other games, like you said, with the Infinity Engine, everyone's moving towards that because now they, they know they have time to uh, develop it fully so that they can take something that was, uh, you know, really a dream in the past where everyone was saying, oh, it would be great to have, you know, real-time physics and, and everything physics-based. We're getting to that point now because we have the ability to spend time on it, not in one year, but kind of over a few years to get that, that granularity of sport in a video game. So <clears throat> one of the things that, you know, anybody who plays the NHL series from EA knows is the, it looks and sounds fantastic. Um, just it from the, the sounds on the ice, you know, to the, to the skates, to the puck, you know, pinging off the, uh, off the, uh, off the post. And it looks fantastic too, but I'm just curious, you know, if you've got any, uh, you know, what your plans are on the visual and the audio improvements uh, this year coming up in NHL 13. Sure. Um, we we always look at uh, you know what what we want to do with the game. We, we watch enough hockey that we see all all the different things that the, the different broadcasts that are doing things of the sport. So for us, we really wanted to um, again authenticity, focusing on uh, providing good feedback to a user through audio, especially when it comes to on ice sound, as well as commentators talking about different things like our new uh, you know EA Sports Hockey IQ or or the new skating having it match and make it seem like one cohesive experience, uh, as well as just, you know, connecting you to the real world of uh, hockey and having that, you know, come through in our front end and also through um, the game itself when you're going through the intros, it looks like an NHL arena, the lighting, the, the actual atmosphere. Uh, we, we've been fortunate enough to be at different arenas uh, in the NHL for different events, and it's, it's definitely an experience. Every, every arena has some small nuance that you notice, and you're like, hey, these are cool things that you want to make as part of that experience to the user. And, uh, and like you said, we have a lot of fans that are very aware if something is a little off. We do our best to, to put as much as we can in the game and make it uh, authentic to, to what you'd see at a, at a real NHL arena. Uh, yeah, and you mentioned, Andy, uh, your 
working, you know, the EA Sports Hockey League is is one of your things. And I, it is the EASHL. For those of you who do not, have not experienced it, it's immensely popular with a core group of players that you are, I'm sure, f- familiar with. It's a really interesting and, frankly, unique. I mean, I, the only thing I think that's even remotely close to it is FIFA's Be a Pro or, uh, you know, the, the club. Um so a listener of the show, um, MRH61988, asks about the EASHL. Any chance of having multiple team dressing rooms for a single EASHL team for when we have more than like six people on? Um, so that question, I guess, is to you, Andy. Sure. Um, so every year when, you know, when we started the A-Sports Hockey League, it, was, uh, it, it actually overwhelmed us. We, you know, when we created it, we thought, this is a, a great feature, and I think a lot of people will play it. And the numbers have been astounding. We, we get feedback all the time from our fans saying it's, it's my favorite thing to, to hook up with my buddies and be a team and go and participate in the playoffs and do all, all that and feel like I'm part of that world of hockey and professionally playing in, in this virtual world. Um, for us, fan feedback is very important. Uh, we, we do have some announcements that we'll be doing in the future. Uh, right now, you know, it's one of those things that, as much as we do things with the team to discuss what's the future, we also take the fan feedback. So I think we're going to be talking about that a little bit in the future. Um, so, yeah, that's that's one of our big things every year to look at the Esports Hockey League and see what we can do with it. So you know, definitely, the, there's some coming. The cool one of the, the cool little things about the EASHL. I did a terrible job sort of setting it up there, but it's it's like a a, a, a custom online league that you play on a team with a bunch of your friends however you want to against other user controlled teams so everybody has their own guys and the teams are custom and the leagues are custom and one of the cool little things i love about it is when a team wins a championship you have your own banner raising ceremony with your own team's custom logo um and that is just like a small little nuance i think that makes it so much better and and it actually ties to something else that i love about nhl and i've spoken with you guys in the past about it is your Stanley Cup celebration, in my opinion, is the best championship celebration in any sports game. And I just, I, I love that about your game. And it's not something that's brand new. You guys have had the best one for a while, five, six, seven years now. So th- those are the little things, I think, that, that go a long way, at least for somebody like me. Um, so moving on then from the ASHL, the GM franchise modes this year, um, we know there's something called uh, GM Connected. I, that's probably we could spend an hour on that. We'll spend a couple on minutes on that. So that's, I guess, sort of like online franchise. It's making its debut this season too, and this is a huge positive thing because I know they're, you know, the, the online leagues have been a little, um, I don't know if confusing is the right term, but you know, the online leagues compared to some of the other sports in NHL hasn't been, I think, the focus. So what went into the decision about the GM Connected, and what are some of the key features of this mode? So when we uh, when we started the idea of doing this, the biggest thing we know that our be a GM mode, uh, which is a single player, you know, playing at 29 CPU GMs and trying to to create a championship team, is our most popular mode in terms of uh, users who play it. Um, so we wanted to, to take that, and, and we know there's there was a hard a hardcore group of guys that were playing with the the old online league system, and uh, we wanted to say, okay, how are we going to make this better? How how are we going to improve that experience? And what we wanted to do was bring it online so that you could play uh, in different living rooms and compete against each other. But, you know, that, that's been done in sports games before. 
we, we took that step this year to make that experience. But the one thing we wanted to do was how do we make that even more innovative? How do we make it so that it can be more of a community? And one of the things we took was the idea of the EA Sports Hockey League with that online team play and say, if I want to have friends that want to help me play as my, you know, St. Louis Blues team, we could all be sitting in different places and play together against another team that have two or three friends playing. So the idea is someone's a general manager and there could be people playing for his team and helping him out. Um, I'm not the best uh, game player here with the controller, but uh, I'd probably be considered one of the top hockey guys in terms of like fantasy pools and stuff and knowing the players and, and as well as I do the database. So I do have an advantage in that area. I could see guys, I could see a couple guys playing with me. So that's what the goal was to make it a more um, inclusive community. So if someone doesn't want to do the managing thing, but wants to play, he that's could play me. with his friends who's more manager type. That's me. I'm a, I'm a much better. And I use the term, the word better in air quotes, much more of a player guy, a better player than I am a GM. Um, but I, a bunch of my friends are kind of the opposite way. They'd rather spend time looking at rosters and making trades and actually playing the game sometimes. Yeah, and that's something we've noticed. I mean, we some people would rather coach, and we've added that in this year where you could take the team and, and uh, control their strategies as well as their lines with the all-new strategies that we have in gameplay. It seemed like the perfect fit to let the user uh, you know, be able to change his forechecks and his, his strategies as well as choosing what line is going to play against what line. Uh, as we see in the playoffs every year, you know, line matching is important. Uh, with uh, with our new AI, it, it, you know, it's come across. Um, and we also have the ability to make your own custom AI so that you can uh, set up your AI for your team and you can turn it on and let someone play the CPU but with your strategies in place. So what is the where does the mobile app come in? What does that let you do? So the mobile app is basically what we wanted to do was let you have that connection to the league while you're not on your console. Um, most of us don't, unlike a computer, which you might have at work as well as at home, uh, the console might not be on 24-7. And as well, you'd have to be using it on your TV. So what we wanted to do was bring an experience where you could actually uh, keep up to date with the league as things were happening uh, so that if you're out with uh, your, your friends and, and you're finished watching a movie one night, you could actually check the scores that have happened in the last three hours while you were out. So if other players were playing their games, you'd see the scores and uh, the league leaders as of that night, the standings. You'd just be kept up to date with what's going on in the league, as well as interact with the league in different ways. So we're, we're trying to uh, make it more of a, a community uh, that is always engaged instead of a community that has to be engaged through the console alone. So is this, I mean... Is the answer then to one of our one of my listener questions from uh, Nisero? He says, "Have they looked into doing a more full-featured online franchise system? Right now, it's more a round-robin setup. I'd like to see a more fleshed-out system. It sounds like GM Connected is that full-featured online franchise system. Am I right on that?" Yes. Yeah, so we wanted we wanted to bring that experience. Um, we've done our best with be a GM with to keep up to date with the CBA as best as possible. And that experience now, you know, people are very aware of how hockey works. Uh, even, even the casual fan knows there's a salary cap and so on and so forth. We wanted to bring that into GM Connected. So everyone's playing with that kind of idea that I have stars and i got to pay them, uh, pay them a certain amount. We've worked really hard on the AI. Um, we have uh, what we call, what we lovingly call the GM brain. We've rewritten uh, a bunch of, uh, of the logic so that the teams do things that are more uh, intelligent. They, they think more like a real uh, human GM would do as they evaluate their team from the top NHLers down to the prospects that they drafted last year. 
uh, we really wanted to um, bring bring the idea that a team is aware of now and they're aware of the future. So three years from now, where am I? What would my team look like if everyone grows the way I think they should grow? The CPU never had any uh, idea of that in the past, and now they have that concept. So when you're sitting there and, and you want to make a trade, another team might just not be willing to give them up. Like I would doubt the Edmonton Oilers would really want to give up Ryan Eugene Hopkins at this point. You know, he's still growing. He's still going to be uh, a potential future superstar. So that's what the CPU is going to be doing more of. It, it'll be more based on what they think their team could be with what they have, and they'll evaluate that all the time and then make decisions to improve their team as they go along. So uh, could you do me a favor then in the real world, set it up so that Zach Parisi gets signed by the real New Jersey Devils and doesn't go anywhere as a free agent? Well, from what we've seen with the salary cap as it is, and we don't know what the future salary cap will be, um, yeah, that our BGM would have a difficult time uh, re-signing him. So, yeah, if I was New Jersey, I'd be starting to plan either who to trade to keep him or um, be making a plan B. But, oh, again, God. that's the thing. Lou Lamorello is doing exactly what we, what we kind of got our, our, our CPU GMs to do, which is consider the future. He's got to sit there and go, okay, I have Kovalchuk. Now what am I going to do about this other star player? Yeah. So he's got to figure that out. Yeah, he needs to split that culture contract in three and give Parise some of that money. Yeah. Okay, a couple more things real quick, and I'll, I'll, I'll get you out of here. But something I've always wanted, and now because I'm talking to you guys, I can actually tell you, is the ability to set up you know, a series, whether it's just one seven-game series or small tournaments with my friends that will keep track of the stats, you know, like an online playoff of sorts. Do you hear those same kind of requests, and will something like that be available you know, in NHL 13 or in the future? Well, we, we always um, we always take feedback from our fans. We, we've heard uh, of some of these, uh, the idea of, of having tournaments and series online. Um, we, we have added in the past something uh, called Battle for the Cup, which is the ability for two people to play together and, and uh, play um, against each other for a, in a seven-game series. Okay. Uh, and, and that idea was that experience of, you know, the college dorm room experience. Right. We've all... We've all have friends. I have a brother. We'll sit down and play five games in a night and right. see who wins. Um, and I think the biggest thing is, you know, we're always looking at features like this. Uh, it's, a lot of it is you start an online series, and there could be uh, things like, you know, games dropping out or quitting. And, and we're always looking at that, that whole experience of will it be uh, a fun experience if there's issues that happen that are not in the control of those two users. Sure. But I think as we move along and the future, you know, looks better and better for online for ourselves and for just online in general in the world, I think that's something that you're going to see more and more of as we create online features to connect people up and play. Cool. One last question for me, and then I have a couple more user or listener questions. It drives me crazy, and we, we touched on this a little bit, but it drives me crazy when I hear people referring to a big-time sports game as just another roster update. And it's obvious to me that these days that you know none of these games are, and I'm sure you hear and see that sometimes. So, What's your response um, when you hear someone say roster update? For me, yeah, I, I think for us, it's, it, for us, you know, we put a lot of effort into each and every one of our games, and for it, it's all about, um, you know, Franchise 13 specifically. This is going to be the biggest leap for us on this generation of console. Um, 
So we're extremely, extremely excited about what we have, and by no means is what we have this year a roster update. Um, you know, like I've said, we challenge ourselves each and every year to put the best sports game out there possible, um, and this year is no exception. Um, each each and every year we pour our heart and soul into it. So, uh, you know, for a lot of people when they say roster update, I think that they just need to understand the amount of different features that we've added to the game in each and every one of our modes and with new modes as well. All right, so a couple quick listener questions. Same question from two different guys, Real Jeff Solo and Darth Obvious. Why do you do that uniform code thingy they want to know? (laughs) So uh, I'll answer that one. Um, We work closely with uh, all the leagues, but the NHL, especially with with this this code thingy as as it's been described, um, the idea is that a lot of teams, when they're launching their new third jerseys or regular jerseys, they're trying to uh, do it in a manner that befits their team. Um, because we launch a month and a half earlier than the season, for the most part, we don't want to ruin any team's plans for how they want to launch their jersey. So what we've done with the NHL is planned out that if there are teams that have third jerseys or, or a set of home jerseys that they're going to be announcing, we find out the general date of the last team that will be announcing, and we will put it the code out to the public after that, as well as put it in the roster update so people will just see it automatically come on. So, yes, there is some delay. Sometimes if, if there's a team announcing, let's say, Thanksgiving in the United States, it could be as late as November. But this is what we've worked out with the NHL. It's done for a good reason, as the teams do have the right to do what they want with their jerseys, and we don't want to be the one to ruin their thunder. One, uh, one last question, this one from Darth Obvious. He says, are they going to get Game Face into NHL this year? Have they thought about that at all? Uh, yeah, it's something, that's something that we hear a lot of feedback about. Um, it's something that is on our list, and um, I think in future, future iterations it's something that uh, you'll probably see come to the NHL franchise, but for 13, um, it's, it's not on the list. Okay. Uh, and then I'm going to wrap it up with a listener comment uh, from that sports gamer. He says, I'd ask a question, but I can't think of anything. So just tell him to keep up the good work. NHL is a great series. And I echo that as well. You know, without being facetious or, or whatever, I mean, I play NHL all the time. I have for years. It is a terrific series, and uh, you guys do a great job. I imagine in, in some ways it feels thankless. Because no matter what you do, you hear a lot of comments and feedback of saying, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? But hopefully the, uh, the positive feedback you, you get um, outweighs the negative because it is a terrific game. It is a terrific franchise. And um, uh, I just want to say again to, to Sean Ramjeb Singh and Andy Agostini, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I appreciate it. And hopefully maybe right around the time the game launches, we can have another conversation about some of the other stuff we weren't able to get around to today. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the, uh, the kind words. Really appreciate it. That's good. Thank you. So there you have it. And a big thanks to Sean and Andy, as well as all the listeners who submitted their questions. NHL 13 hits on September 11th, 2012. And while we haven't yet heard everything about it, I think it's pretty obvious that it's shaping up to be another winner. So thanks for listening to this episode of Box Score, brought to you by Games Radar. I'm your host, Richard Grisham. Uh, please subscribe to the show on iTunes and give it a rating, too, while you're at it. You can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Rich Grisham. Tweet me any thoughts, questions, or comments about this or future shows. And also, follow Games Radar at their handle, at Games Radar. So until next time, this is Richard Grisham for Box Score.